Hello, my name is Miguel Neves and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of EventMB. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Event Manager Podcast. Our guest this week is none other than the founder of EventMB, the one and only Julius Solaris, who is now Head of Engagement at Swapcard. I'm joined by the Deputy Editor of EventMB, Dylan Monarchio, and we talk to Julius in a fascinating conversation about things like the ultimate goal of providing value to event professionals by sharing research and valuable content, the choices and pitfalls of being a brand on social media, and whether we should build in public. We talk about the future market size for virtual events and we compare it to the in-person event market size uh, now and going forward into the future. We talk about how destinations may be seeing event technology companies as competitors and rivals. We talk about how event strategies are changing and merging into digital strategies. We talk about setting long-term objectives for businesses and how that's just not an option at the moment. And we leave you with plenty of takeaways, some of which are just about staying afloat as a business in the events industry. Thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope you subscribe to the Event Manager podcast and come back for more and more. Detroit has always been America's assembly line of creativity and innovation. It's home to groundbreakers, movers and shakers, the next generation that will change the nation. Bring your meeting to Detroit, then take it all in. Award-winning dining, a captivating live music scene, and world-class outdoor spaces like America's Top River Walk, as ranked by USA Today. This is your invitation to join America's true originals. Plan your meeting in Detroit. Get started at visitdetroit.com. So welcome, Julius. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's it's a pleasure and it's 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 a little surreal being the new uh, editor in chief of Event MB. And Dylan, thank you for for joining me today as well. Uh, Julius, just amazing to have you as our first guest for the Event Manager podcast. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know who you are, uh, maybe you could do a, a short introduction. And I think uh, Dylan had some uh, some curiosity about how EventMB started. So I wondered if you could kind of tell us a little bit about the story of EventMB. And did you really start from your bedroom in, in Puglia? And, and how did how did it all happen? How did it all unfold? Oh, my God. Just when you thought you got rid of me, here I'm back with a vengeance. <laughs> uh, very exciting. Yeah, Speaking of surreal, it's really weird uh, <laughs> interviewing my old boss with my new boss. <laughs> poor Dylan. Is this a test on Dylan? No, very excited to be here. Such an honor to to be part of our, of our new podcast. Great idea. Can't wait to see it uh, making waves uh, in the internet. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean... Uh, I've been the founder and editor of NTMB for a while until a couple of months ago when uh, I transitioned to uh, the dark side, as they call it, in event tech right now. I don't know, why did they call it the dark side? Um, it's totally not, but uh, it's, uh, you know, I've, I joined the swap card now, event technology company, and uh, Miguel took over uh, NTMB with the rest of the team. So it's a happy ending for all, I guess, and uh, very excited uh for uh, both our next steps uh, in here. Obviously, EventMB has been my uh, my project for a long time. You know, I uh, started it not necessarily from, from the bedroom. I mean, we did have an extra room 
Oh, so it was fine. It was in the living room, hopefully, in a, in a town in Puglia. For sure. I was, but you were in Italy when it, when it all started. Italy, you yeah. were living in Italy. It was yeah. just back from we met. Australia. Yeah, I just okay. got back. And then we met in London in 2008, right? So you'd already been running Event MB for a while. And yeah, I mean, how did you like find the events industry? Because I think everybody's got a slightly different story of when they realize the events industry is an industry. Like, how did you get into that and yeah and then like tell us the rest of the story because it's fascinating probably i realized there was an industry by 2012 11 or something like that so it took me a while to understand the dynamics of the event industry this is why it makes me laugh we're looking at all these virtual event tech companies like you know probably including mine as well uh you know hiring people to work in events it takes a while to understand this industry like if you're an outsider Took me at least a solid four years back in the days. There wasn't a lot of information about it, to be honest. With when I attended my first IMAX in Frankfurt, but before then, I used to be involved with um, events in general. It's something that I loved. I loved like being involved with people. I did like my amateur things while I was at school, in school and stuff like that uh, on the side. But out of university, my first role was uh, marketing in a pharmaceutical. Uh, conference or promoting a conference in southern Italy and all of that it was just very minor gig but you know that was my experience back then that's what I understood but I guess as time evolved between 2007 and 2008 I was really fascinated and captivated by the emergence of technology and social media as and how they would apply to events and how they potentially change events um, that was what that was my very strong interest more than uh, my direct experience with events, which was very limited, I was really, uh, I really could see that there was a change coming somehow. Uh, probably didn't happen the way I pictured it, but you know, um, it was definitely the beginning of something uh, in the industry, and people would care about it, which is very important. Like to the late, to the stage that they would read about it, that that's very yeah. important as well. And I remember that was the time when Twitter was also super big, right? I remember there was this one product that I, I loved. It's called Lanyard. I don't know if you remember that one, but it was like this, it was like this online directory of anybody that was a speaker or involved in events and it used their Twitter profile to build it up. And I loved it. I thought it was the future and everybody was supposed to have a Twitter profile and then it kind of collapsed. No, no, it didn't. Eventbrite, Eventbrite didn't. bought it and shut it down. That's uh, what happened, which is the worst okay. decision they could have ever made. It was the fantastic tool. It was really the way events should have evolved, especially event discovery, right? Because it was a very powerful way of putting together Eventbrite and LinkedIn and finding about where people are going at events near you, like in your networks. That was the discovery piece. They shut it down like massively. Uh, uh, the guy uh, that founded it from London had been with Eventbrite for many, many years after that. But nothing as uh, I always keep on saying to, to Eventbrite people, like, why did you do that? Uh, it's <laughs> such a great tool. What is the answer you got? I'm curious. Like, why would you buy something just to shut it down? Well, they incorporated it in the product somehow, oh, okay. not, not to the stage where made a difference as an individual standalone brand right a lot of acquisitions go that way uh but you mm. know not all acquisitions can be like skiff and event and be where everybody keeps their own identity <laughs> yeah. well that actually it's but interesting let, because it, oh sorry i think i'm that's no no go ahead i think it's this is this is the way the podcast goes we go wherever <laughs> the conversation goes i want to make sure we capture a little bit more of the evolution but your question dylan well yeah i was gonna say i mean this kind of speaks to 
to, to the, the Julius brand, really. I mean, you spent 14 years analyzing event tech and unapologetically critiquing the trends and the job it was doing. And now you've joined Swapcard. So how have your views on event tech changed now that you're part of the quote unquote dark side? Do you feel like you have a deeper appreciation for what goes into these decisions and what goes into these products? Yeah, I mean, it will always be um, it will always be a little bit um, self pleasing to say, "How am I doing now?" Right? It's I guess the response is in the audience. The response is is when you pick up on on a report as Event MB that we push out as Wapcar right now. Because you know, I've been extremely clear with my team, with my marketing team, and we've done three reports since I joined the company two months ago. And they've been about sharing data from the platform, which I think is what people need right now from event technology companies. Like, you know, there's always been this incredible realm of data available within tech companies, but they never shared it, like, because they were scared of something or whatever. So we've uh, that's been my commitment since day one. Like, how can I provide value without being cheesy and pitchy at all times. I mean, we know Swapcard is there, it's a brand. Like I don't need to reinforce that at every possible opportunity and say like, come and visit and wear like a bite now kind of shirt, whatever I go. So I'm trying to uh, find that information within the company related out there and people, uh, you know, value that, whether it's, uh, you know, also an experience from our, our clients. We just closed a podcast, which is published today with uh, you know, a group event director of uh, Informa talking about how they're doing a 30,000 event uh, in uh, 30,000 people event in August at the Anaheim Convention Center, what, how they're, they're planning a synchronous type of hybrid experience. You know, that's incredible value to everybody listening. There's no pitching on the platform if they wanna say, oh yeah, and we love Swapcar, by the way, great, do it. I mean, but I'm not, and I say, oh, this is the moment when we do this, and this is the moment when we do that. So obviously for me, the natural evolution of, of, of joining um, a company, whatever company, even my next company, is going to be the same thing. It's going to be you know, providing value because I, I have a contract with my followers online that needs to be refreshed every week not every year. So it's not like that I'm, I'm milking the cow that I started in 2007. I've been dedicated to that and people trust me for that. So if I change that at some stage, trust me, like things are not gonna go well for me. So I need to keep on finding ways to provide that value in different different avenues. Yeah, and we appreciate I, it. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yeah, talk a little bit about your, your personal brand, because I mean, I'm a big believer and I definitely agree with what you're saying. And I think um, I, I, I never do things to be considered an influencer. I actually hate those posts that go around online. Like you're one of the 50 top people in the industry. And I what about never... the people that connect to on LinkedIn with you saying congratulations I... for being on the 65 most influential people? What, what yeah, is that? I, I... I hate that. For me, it's just a, you know, it's a marketing play, right? You, you, you tag the hundred most influential people, they see your post, they go on your website, there's some sort of, you know, SEO benefit or marketing benefit, but I don't really think of it that way. And I think you're the same. And talk to me a little bit about how you see that personal brand growing, brand growing and, and how, you, how important it is for you to develop that like every day. Cause I see you post regularly on Twitter and on LinkedIn and you always you always challenge a little bit. You always push the boundaries a little bit and ask questions that are sometimes difficult, sometimes a little bit controversial. Uh, and I know it's obviously, you know, there's a tactic there and you want to start a little controversy, but talk to me a little bit about 
your brand and how you developed that over the years, you know, like, was there a day you just woke up in 2007, decided I'm gonna, you know, be a brand in the event industry? Or did that sort of slowly develop and you realized that that was what you wanted to be and how you wanted to be in the industry? Oh, I love that. I love that question of, of challenging it is because, you know, I think the minute you start to think in terms of personal brand, you're out of the game of the real opportunity on social media and content creation in general. Like whoever thinks like, and you know, a lot of respect for those people for hustling and all of that. But the minute you start taking uh, pictures with funny faces of you with, with, you know, some sort of a statement next to it, that's not a game I want to play. Like that's not what I think about. Like when I think about business events, and the evolution of these, you know, maybe there's some people that are going to enjoy like a TikTok video when I point at things that are appearing and like uh, you get some value out of it. That's not my game. I'm just saying that um, I never fought in that way. And there's never, to be honest, Miguel, there's never a tactic about when I share things on Twitter. It's just my obsession with some things. And like, there's probably a disease more than a tactic there, a mental <laughs> disease in terms of saying like, I'm obsessed with this thing to the stage that I need to pull it out. And obviously it, I always ask myself, is it gonna be relevant or is it gonna be like cheesy? Is it gonna add value? Like if you know, you see that as a tactic, great. I mean, but it is not intentional. It's never intentional to say, uh, oh, let's try to do this and see where, where it goes, right? It's, it's never that. It's really opening up the conversation for some stuff. It's just uh, saying things that I think about out loud. The only tactic that I apply to that is like, once I write it, I reread it to make sure I don't get in trouble because I've been in trouble quite a lot in the past for saying things out loud, right? So there's only some filtering that it's applied to some things to make sure I don't offend anybody or, you know, don't upset those that, you know, at all costs want to go back to in person and say that virtual is just a fad or those that are like a virtual events and like uh, uh, crazy people and believe that in person is dead. Like, because, you know, you have this polarizing um, uh, sort of uh, feature of social media right now where there's really different factions and there's people fighting with each other. So I try to keep doing my thing so I'm doing my thing. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I, I couldn't care less. There's no objective behind it. There's no like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get more followers. So I'm gonna, you know, promote better, whatever piece is coming next with Event MB or Swap Card or whatever. It's just being driven by my curiosity for some things or uh, sort of uh, being upset with something and having to say it out loud because, you know, complacency always made me angry. And I think that's super important. Would you say it's similar to, um, you know, I follow a few sort of startup people on Twitter. And one of the things that I've been noticing is this movement towards building in public. You know, that idea that you, you ask for help on social media, you tell people what you're planning to do and you invite people on the journey with you. And I find when I do stuff on social media, those kind of posts are much more interesting to people. You know, me giving advice on particular event advice or some kind of thing doesn't resonate a lot of time. But if I invite people, if I build in public to some sense, that resonates. Is that, do you agree with that? Is that something you try to do? Or do you think that event professionals should do things like that? Totally. I mean, I think you're a master in that sense in like really getting the community together. I'm not nowhere nowhere good nowhere is good or good at all 
in really uh, collaborating with people. I tried in the past, but it doesn't work for me. I'm just like saying my opinion sometimes. And then that's what people expect from me. They don't expect me to come out and ask for help or, you know, somehow that never worked. Like I've done it. Um, so I, I see different roles in that. Like if I, I look up to, for example, uh, Jason Lemkin uh, running SAS uh, uh, events and being extremely vocal about, you know, like pulling whatever, 15, 20, 30 tweets a day on different aspects of, you know, with very strong opinions uh, on something or that it's about like growing businesses and stuff like that. I, I, I tend to fit in that, but I see people like yourself, like, and from Twine, like the Nick Borelli, um, like all these people that are very uh, community catalysts that really have a collaborative approach and transparent approach about building things. And I really love to see that, how it's uh, changing also the way we market products in a collaborative fashion within different companies that on paper may compete with each other, but not necessarily, right? Um, so, and I keep doing my part in that conversation. That my part sometimes is just sharing a statistic about something. So that's what people expect from me. And I keep on doing that. Um, you know, I share like, you know, this is what we learned. It's breaking news to you. Get it, comment on it. Let's chat about it. That's, that's what I do. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. Yeah, well, I mean, I think um, I think that what you mentioned earlier about sort of tech being in a position now where uh, you know there there are lots of people online, especially on Twitter, uh, taking one opinion or the other whether or not virtual is going to stay, whether or not hybrid is going to stay, whether or not hybrid is the future. To what extent people are willing to you know go back to a pre-virtual event industry, and I think. The pandemic has kind of presented us with a unique opportunity uh, because everybody is forced to to adopt the technology where, you know, many event tech companies had traditionally struggled with this adoption. So now that that, you know, time is kind of running out as as rollouts are happening with the vaccines and people are really eager to get back to normal um, and given that a lot of planners do feel frustrated with it. Do you feel like event tech platforms are kind of doing the job they need to do to convince stakeholders of the value of these platforms now while they have the chance? Or do you think that they're kind of, uh, you know, missing the opportunity that they have now with the, with the near 100% adoption to do that? I don't think, I don't think uh, we're, we're at that stage yet. I think the inbound is still very, very strong for the virtual piece because the the situation is still quite unclear. So this is a problem that we're going to have, trust me, very soon uh, in the industry. Um, one way or another, we'll see a lot of uh, companies struggling if they haven't completely nailed their positioning and where they're, well, what did, what's the value that they're bringing um, to the to the place here? You know, they, there's a lot of uh, miracles that happened over the past year in terms of companies that were about to die. Uh, 
that got this influx of great product, but at the end of the day, they built maybe something out of it, but now they're competing with giants in that sense that got 10 times more, 50, 50 times more, 100 times more than what they got. So if they were failing before, they're probably going to go back to failing afterwards, because especially if we're, we're, we're thinking about going back to in-person and hybrid, I'm, I'm waiting to see that because the complexity of in-person is going to be extremely challenging for a lot of people that came to the industry as well in marketing or sales and have no understanding whatsoever of the dynamics of the event industry as such. So there's going to be virtual probably as its own category, right? That is going to have uh, an adjusted demand, I believe, that um, we're still going to be very sizable. Um, you know, we were talking about this as one of the potential scenarios in the joining the dark side of things chat that we had on Clubhouse a few days ago, where almost like virtual is becoming the category and in-person is becoming a subset of that. Um, to the stage, well, in terms of money, at least, that's what's happening, right? Probably in terms of how we're passionate and uh, sort of faction uh, to uh, in-person, great, all of that, but money-wise, the opportunity for me is right now is in virtual, right? That's where the money is, right? That's where people are investing the money. Uh, they're definitely not investing in in-person. Yeah, they want to see hybrid as a subset of it, but as a smaller category uh, of, as a premium experience of the virtual interaction. It's almost like making a parallel between e-commerce and in-store experience. Like, you know, obviously you got to buy an ice cream or a gelato since we're here. Uh, and we're Italians um, <laughs> a little bit, uh, you know, uh, gelato, you're going to be, well, yeah, uh, we're going to, you're going to be buying it in person, right? But am I going to buy toilet paper uh, in person at all costs, right? No. Uh, well, it's funny. It's funny that you say that because the other day I actually ordered like two liters of gelato from a place called Nanarella on Uber Eats. So <laughs> I bought that online because I didn't want to go. go get it, right? That may change very quick. Like, you know, let's not assume that Barnes & Nobles is doing extremely well and there's a comeback to Barnes & Nobles when Amazon is like kicking, like growing a million percent. Mm -hmm. Like even Amazon is not going to let you do that, Barnes & Nobles. That's what I'm trying to say. Like the, 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 the pace these event tech companies are evolving at this time may well reshape the in-person in terms of capability of these people to take over what we used to know as the event industry before and reshaping it altogether because that's the size of the deals that are happening. We've never seen those size deals, uh, those deal size uh, before. I'm interested to well, know, we you mentioned, oh, sorry. I was just going to make an analogy. I mean, we saw, was it Hopin valued at 5.7 billion? Uh, we saw the Las Vegas Sands selling Las Vegas Sands for 6 billion, um, which is crazy to compare those two, right? That we're talking about the fourth biggest building in the world being sold for the same amount as a software company, right? Um, but so just to make an analogy, we're hoping to go to IMAX America in November. If, you know, to help everything works out. Are you expecting when you go to IMAX America, if the hall looks the same way as it used to, to have a much bigger technology section? You know, are you expecting to walk into more of a CES than an IMAX when you go to IMAX? 
That's a, that's a question for Karina as well. That's a great question for Karina in terms of the bookings that they're getting right now. Uh, but for sure, for sure, like, well, tech was already kind of uh, growing, right? Steadily, not probably exponentially, but steadily um, in terms of uh, show for, they're always kept on asking Achilles and every year, like, you know, how's the, how's the tech floor going? I was, yeah, growing, growing, growing. So great. So some destinations probably will try to use that as a, you know, as a potential comeback. But I know the space is going to be profoundly different, right? Uh, from the IMAXs we've seen before in the sense that, you know, it's a new properties, Mandalay Bay, and they, they have extra space as well. So it's probably going to be tough to compare. But definitely, I know there's, there's going to be a lot of interest from tech companies to capture that audience in person and be present. So when C-Vent used to be the big, the bigger uh, booth on the show floor that was almost detached from tech because they were too cool for school, uh, you know, back in the day, uh, we're going to see a lot of those instances, I'm sure. Mm. And would you expect maybe the tech companies to be on the destination stands as well? So sort of partnerships with the destinations for the hybrid event world, or you think you think they'll be separate? No, I, I don't think so. Honestly, I don't. I think destinations wants to, wants wants tech to die as soon as possible. That's what they want uh, because they they feel extremely threatened right now. But by what is happening, it's natural. It's part of the game. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, the, 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 the business that has been taken away from tourism and, uh, you know, um, all of the impact that events have on destinations is massive. It is an existential threat for the model of traveling to a place for, you know, an event of different sites. There's still a place for it, right? But there's a lot of reconsideration of it. You know, the amount of business that has been closed over Zoom calls, I'm not even talking about more complex event experiences, but even Zoom calls, like why were we gonna fly four people to Aruba to meet when they can you know, just do a Zoom and move on and be more effective, right? And close deals anyway. So there's gonna be space for those big events, right? There's gonna be space for those staple events where like the IMAXs, the, those large the CES, where there's a, there's a massive amount of people going in the same place, you gotta be there. You know, that's that's going to be the decider. You've got to be there. But a lot of other events will be cut, you know, if not for intention, for budget, because it's just not, there's not going to be any room for that, for that expensive trip somewhere because it's nice and we've got to do something different. Actually, no, the next two years are going to be about, you know, let's stay afloat and keep business going. So uh, virtual is better positioned than destinations and destinations are not going to like that. And if they haven't partnered as yet with virtual companies, they're not going to start now. To that point, though, I would imagine that most, if not all of the virtual growth that's happened so far, which has been exponential, has happened online. And we're talking about virtual companies like event tech companies going to a physical event in order to use that to you know, bolster and or fill their pipelines. So I guess my next question is kind of like what, if, if so much business can be done effectively online without having to go in person and as bigger audiences get more attributed to virtual event experiences, how do you see that kind of blurring with 
uh, digital marketing strategies and where do you see that going and how do you see like the role of event planners kind of dissolving into marketing teams and vice versa as much of that activity is relegated to a virtual space? I love, by the way, how deep this conversation is getting only from event and beat. We can geek out and space out onto very deep tech talks other than like, oh, is the future going to be hybrid? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, no, I mean, that's there's, there's obviously there's a venue component of that. Uh, I can, and, you know, we just announced yesterday the, the deal with Hyatt, right? Using Swapcard for a lot of their venues like as a additional tool. So there's, there's, there's definitely a commitment from venues more than destinations in bridging this gap. Now that's very interesting to me because there's always been a gap that we've been complaining forever as event and be on, you know, the Wi-Fi and the tech infrastructure not being there, right? But these blurred environments uh, in terms of venues and this um, mixed realities opportunities are going to be extremely exciting. I read your article about it, Miguel, your comment on Twitter about mixed reality. This is very exciting coming forward in terms of how you can blur the audiences. The, the, here's the deal. Like I'm going to decide whether to attend uh, in person or virtually, right? There's nothing you can do about that. Like I'm going to make decisions on whether I want to be in person or virtual. And you got to be ready for both. Right. If I'm part of your potential audience, you gotta be ready for it. You know. Otherwise, tell me how you're gonna make money with the projected 50% capacity. I mean, even if Vegas is going back to 100% on June 1st, are we gonna get 100% capacity in business events? I don't think so. Not for a while. So, how are you gonna make a profit, like in an industry where margins have been traditionally low? and operations has been a nightmare to deal with. And probably we turned a profit in 2020 after 10 years of struggling. That was the beginning of it. So how are you gonna keep on doing that without a digital strategy, without capturing the digital marketing opportunity that virtual events have? And I wanna be specific about it. That's the opportunities, the digital marketing opportunities, not, you know, let's create experiences online. And now, now that we got rid finally of the experience buzzword, we're seeing a resurgence of that in the virtual environment, which is like really killing all of the, no, no, it's a digital marketing opportunity that there's a breach and volume opportunity. There's a subscription opportunity. There's, there's a lot of stuff that you can do there to complement that missed revenue that you're going to face for the next two, three years, to be mm -hmm. honest, now, because that's what we're discussing here, I believe. What's the benefit for companies to invest in virtual events to fill out that digital marketing rather than doubling down on digital marketing and potentially generating more on-demand content and and that kind of thing? That you know, those, those are those are those are methods that are proven, right? Those are methods that are proven. They have data associated with them. There's a whole technological infrastructures around existing digital marketing. Not to mention social media that people are already on, like almost ubiquitously. So what's the what's the set what's the sell for a three sixty five virtual engagement platform, for example, when you already have all of this other digital marketing infrastructure? So, so the the trend there is definitely moving towards toward owning your your audience and your conversation instead of giving it to Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or Clubhouse or whatever, right? And I believe that's where the real opportunity is laying right now with these like with an event that used to have. 300 people and now has 3,000, 
right? What are, what are you going to do with those 3,000? Are you going to give it back to Facebook as soon as you re go back to in-person because you can't be bothered? Or do you want to really milk that audience to make sure that you get everything out of them potentially? I'm trying, I'm exaggerating here on the marketing perspective, obviously, so you would never think that way. <laughs> you're never going to go anywhere. But, um, you know, are you going to own that data? Are you going to own the opportunities for to create more content? Since everybody's so dedicated on creating content out there, like, are you really going to do it strategically within your audience, within your community? So instead of doing an audio uh, conversation on Clubhouse, you're just going to do it for your audience and really, um, you know, create more opportunities for engagement through the year other than just that one big event that you used to do. But you used to do webinars. We used to do... All, all of we used to do white papers, all these events, they used to have all these strategies. I think it's just a matter of pulling it all together in one place, uh, still keep using social for external uh, referral as much as possible and having those conversations and be part of it, but be really clear about your digital strategy because there's opportunity there. There's opportunity to do more things. The, the platforms have evolved substantially since like a year ago substantially like I, we're releasing 12 features a, a month new stuff that you can do right so and other companies event technology companies are doing the same if not more so there's there's a lot of evolution in how technology companies are serving these needs right now because that's the new category and they need to be building about more tools for it so yeah why miss so let me let me build on that in terms of some practical advice, maybe for anybody who's listening, uh, event professionals. We want to be, we want to get to what you're talking about. We want to get to being experts, or at least being able to action these things to make the most of the platforms and make the most of these strategies. H how do we get there? You know, what's your advice to people that want to get better at that and want to understand that ecosystem and uh, and be part of those cutting edge solutions? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I will. I, I will not start with with the with the cliche of like knowing your objectives and you know working through smart objectives and all that crap. I think that it's important that you you know you understand also the role of objectives these days. You know, uh, you know, setting objectives in stone for a year long program. I mean, you gotta be you gotta be uh, you know beat me here, but you gotta be screwed. Let's say, for lack of a better word in six months time because things change so fast that if you're not reactive enough, like our objectives may become obsolete very quickly. So I think it's like core needs. Is it networking? Is it content uh, that you're thinking of? Is it entertainment, right? So I think that the, the, the media to media selection, media portfolio that you're gonna choose, whether it's in person, hybrid or virtual, is gonna depend on what those objectives are. So if your objective number one, your audience right now wants to be entertained and they can't get uh, enough, like they're tired with these Zoom calls, don't, don't, don't attach any digital framework to what you're trying to do. Just do an in-person thing, get the, the, the mozzarella maker in front of them and freaking DJ and get everybody drunk and celebrate that way. You know what I mean? Like there's no point of attaching a virtual digital component of all the costs to something like that, because my primary need is to just have fun at this stage. But then in the lead up to that, if there's a need for content, content first, there's a strong digital uh, adherence, sort of strong digital 
opportunities. So create the content smart in a smart way. If you've done all of the past year experience, if you've been working on virtual events over the past year and you don't have an idea of the data from those events, you wasted your time. You were, you were trying to stay afloat. You missed the biggest opportunity here, which is finally understanding what works and what doesn't. Because honestly, in-person events always lacked uh, a proper data framework. Like as much as we like to say that we did have it, we didn't. Nobody looked at the data. Like, you know, it wasn't poorly, it wasn't, it was poorly collected. So, but everything is trackable in virtual. So what are you doing about it? What, what are you reviewing? Like, do you know the sessions that work best? Do you know the formats that work best? Do you know the, the, into the breakouts that work best? Like, do you have an idea of all of that? So build 10X of that, like build on top of it you know, invest more in that until things change because they will change. Like if you told me in February that Vegas would reopen 100% by June 1st, I would think you were crazy or something, right? But now all of a sudden it's moving so fast. So, you know, literally like this is not a, a dodging the question and say it's all about the context, but like really invest as much as you can, as, as soon as you can in what you know works and then review every three, four months. That's, that's the only way to stay afloat for now. So I was going to ask if you had a clear vision of the future, but it sounds like the vision of the future changes every day. Yeah. Well, you know this better than me, right? I'm sure you guys- Nobody you has a crystal ball. I, I remember the chats in the editorial chats uh, for Skift and MTMB and I'll like, oh, breaking news here and breaking news there. Like, oh, oh, now we're doing this and now we're doing that. So, you know, I remember that that conversation. I know it's nowhere, it's, it's even worse right now in terms of things that are going in different directions because of like India being a humanitarian crisis. Europe may be getting out of it, getting the grasp of the vaccines. US, normal, like I'm leading a normal life right now in Las Vegas. Like, Totally, like it's not. I'm vaccinated. Uh, you know, uh, I'm going out. I'm traveling. I'm doing everything normally right now. A hundred percent. Yeah, I'm wearing a mask in places for respect of other people and practicing social distancing as much as I can. But even that, they, they're taking it down in California, right? No social distancing at events going forward, right? So there's no mandatory way of doing that. So. It's changing so fast, but that one thing I can tell your audience is going to be very, very important is what you need to focus on, what really matters. And what really matters is your business model. That's what you got to nail this year. Like you've got to find a way to make money, to make revenue, not to host events for the sake of hosting them. Because like if you manage to navigate through and stay afloat this year, then you're going to thrive 22 forward. That's for sure. So you got to nail that. What is it? Where are you making money? Is it going to be in person? Is it going to be uh, multi-hub, hub and spoke type of model? Is it going to be hybrid? Is it going to be just virtual? Keep on doing that and stay afloat. Then when things resume, you're going to be in a very different market for sure. Good That's awesome. Takeaways. No, I, Great takeaways. Absolutely. <laughs> Julius, I think, I think we're, we'd like to wrap up, but I'd like to ask you uh, for some help in finding uh, the next guest or next guests, if you want to give us some more, uh, some more names, but we'd love to get your advice on who we should invite to be on the podcast next. So uh, we interviewed her for, um, for our podcast this, uh, this month. I would definitely recommend Haley uh, Haggerty. 
Um, she's a fellow podcaster as well. You know, with podcasts, you go these game things where you invite other podcasters on. So I love these uh, this idea as well of inviting. It's like other- Twitter in 2018 or right? 2008, you right? You feel a little bit. Shout in out to YouTube channels. Like, I don't know why that doesn't happen in, in content. Well, I know why, but uh, I don't want to say it out loud. Uh, but, you know, with podcasters, I would mm-hmm. definitely recommend to invite other podcasters because there's a lot of people that are not getting the the, the ex- exposure that they need. So Haley Agerty, group event uh, director for Informa uh, Markets, uh, and she's the host of the In Case of an Event, uh, In Case of an Event podcast. Uh, she's a great podcaster. I met her in person in uh, in Los Angeles as well. It was my first business meeting of the uh, since a year and a half. Uh, so yeah, no, I definitely recommend her. Great. Perfect. We'll uh, we'll definitely have to invite her. Juice, thank you so much for being our first guest. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I hope all the listeners got some insight and great uh, great insight and great advice and and always uh, always very direct and personal, which, which we appreciate. So um, really appreciate having you on the what show. What a pleasure to be with yeah. you guys. Best of luck for the podcast, okay? And uh, congrats on what you're doing with EventMB, still leading the way and actually doing even better than what we've done. So congrats on that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Event Manager Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry, head over to eventmb.com.